Hello and welcome to the Compassionate Leadership Interview. I'm Chris Whitehead and my guest today is Nancy Fielder, editor of The Star, Sheffield Telegraph and Doncaster Free Press. You can find her on Twitter at Nancy Fielder. Nancy, welcome. Thank you for having me. Now I've been checking out your social media and three themes have emerged, football, art and the built environment. Which of those is your favourite and why? That is a very interesting question and I'm not sure I've ever really analysed my own social media feeds. I love football. I am less involved in football. The Well, when I got children, I became less involved in football as they sort of take over everything, even though they're growing their own interests in sports now. Um, I think probably as part of my job and as a very proud Sheffielder, the built environment is absolutely key to that because of trying to protect what we've already got while acknowledging that we've got to make difficult choices to move forward because the city really needs to move forward but has got a lot worth protecting. So I find that a very interesting balance and every Sheffielder has an opinion on what the city looks like and what it should look like and what it used to look like so that is always a good one. Now it was Dan Hayes, uh, the Star's business reporter, who nominated you for this podcast. Would you agree with his assessment of you as a compassionate leader? I'd like to. Again, it's something that I think you kind of you find yourself in jobs and you find yourself in leadership roles without sort of making a plan or coming up with a strategy. I like to think that I'm quite a kind and considerate person. I've got three children. I've got lots of friends and family, as we all have, that I try and sort of act in a certain way with them as I would want them to act with me. So I definitely go into leadership with those thoughts at the front of my mind but then the challenges of the real world and of a challenging industry and of newspapers in particular make me wonder whether I always manage to be I would love to think that I always manage to be a compassionate leader but I suspect other people may say differently at some points maybe that's a sign of being compassionate <laughs> acknowledging that I don't know <laughs> yeah, I think honesty and authenticity is, is part of it for sure so how would you describe your leadership philosophy? So I'm very experienced in what I do. I've always been a journalist. I've always worked in local newspapers. I know Sheffield very well, having come from Sheffield. So I have very set ideas. I know what I want, but I'm also a very good listener. So when I say I know what I want, what I wanted when I started the job three years ago is not the same as I think the newspapers need now. So I like to think I'm quite an open and listening leader and so I'm more than happy to change where I think it needs to go that being said when I think there's something that we absolutely have to do then I I make sure that happens but I but I don't think there's many things like that that you that I that I lead in that I wouldn't expect the team to sort of understand and kind of want to come with me on that journey because I don't feel I make unfair decisions although again it's a very challenged industry much smaller offices and less journalists now than we had when I started 19 years ago so difficult decisions do have to be made and that obviously isn't easy for anybody involved. Yeah let's touch on the challenging industry if we may. Um, In February last year the BBC ran a piece on the demise of the local newspaper and in May this year the Guardian claimed that the 
decline of newspapers is starving communities of news. Is it fair to say that local newspapers are in decline, do you think? So newspaper sales are in decline, um, nationally and locally, and have been for a very long time. That's not the same as saying that local news is in decline because we've we reach audiences about the same as this, when the star was at its peak um, because we've got so many different ways of reaching the audience now, so many different platforms. And we do that really, really well with a lot less staff. Mm. Um, but the financial models are challenged for all. I'm not particularly talking about our newspapers, I'm talking about all newspapers. So yeah. the funding that has always gone with print is not quite the same in terms of advertising revenues. There's less people buying it and people like to get their internet stories for free or they're used to getting their internet stories free. So while people, I think the demise in sort of your big cities like Sheffield, it's, it's not a demise. We're sort of going really strong. Um, there are obviously challenges. There are places now that had newspapers that don't have anything. Um, but then asking people to fund journalism is quite an interesting one. Um, and you do get people who kind of don't understand why it can't be for free. And they just don't think the logical step, well, journalists need to be paid just like everybody needs to be paid. And and so that decline in staff numbers must mean that it's a task to maintain morale among your staff. How do you do that? So sometimes, but actually in Sheffield, we've got a great team and they kind of really support each other and boost each other along the way and we still get fantastic stories and do fantastic journalism and there is quite a thrill of knowing exactly how many people are reading your stories and exactly how well you're doing and you can see that now whereas before the buzz was getting your byline and your name on the front page but you didn't know if anybody actually liked your story or read it now we get instant feedback and we have had times where sort of Long retired editors have come in and gone, oh, it's not like it used to be. And I'm kind of, well, if you're a 21-year-old who's just chosen to go into industry, actually, no, in a way, it's better. You could, there's so many different ways and, and there's so much interaction. And there's obviously good and bad that comes with social media because it means they can have a pop at you whenever they fancy and often, often with no reason behind it at all. But I think the team sort of carries itself really well. Um, I try to give praise. I think giving praise is always a really basic one, but few people do it enough. And I'm sure I don't do it enough. But again, then the team often sort of praises each other, which is really good. Um, and they can see the figures and they can see we're doing really well. Um, and sales are okay, considering the circumstances. And the web figures are phenomenal. So it's it's not too challenging um, at the minute. Is there a particular experience or person that's inspired you in your leadership journey? Well, I think there's quite a few people along the way and so I've worked at various newspapers in different parts of the country before coming back to Sheffield when I was pregnant with my second child and there's not there's no one person that stands out but I think what's nice and maybe it's a team approach of newspapers is that there's lots of people I can kind of still hear their advice ringing in my ears and you can kind of attach it to a moment and so there are so many people who fed into that and I'm quite, I'm quite proud of that. It's quite funny because some things have changed over time and you're kind of like, oh, well, no, that advice. I can still hear it, but it's probably not quite right now, sort of 15 years later. But I think there's been lots of people who've helped me along the way and actually boosted my confidence and got me to the point where I am now. Um, and they're probably not the sort of people who would recognise that they did that because it's just sort of everyday acts of kindness or words of encouragement. Um, and as I say, there's lots and lots of those. You're editor of uh, three newspapers, uh, which sounds quite a tall order. How do you 
look after yourself, you know, physically and psychologically. I was talking to a friend about this at the weekend who's got two small children and she said in her work environment, she's she's been in the same job from before she had children and is still in the same job now. And she said actually she gets a lot less stressed in work than other people in the office because her priorities have changed. And so she does her work, she finishes at a certain time and that's it. And if you've got children, actually, and my children are a little bit older now, <laughs> the youngest is seven, but I've got um, a 13-year-old and a 20-year-old. And they just having children and being full on, they don't let you worry about things in the same way. You don't go home and things might be worrying slightly, but it doesn't take over everything because they don't want to sit down and hear about your day. They want to be off and doing things. And because I've always had children while I've been a journalist, um, I kind of feel I'm very good at putting things in compartments. And that's not to say that things don't worry me, but it doesn't go on and on and worry me. And so then I'll come back the next morning and try and deal with it or maybe let the worry back in but I think I'm so busy balancing work and motherhood and friends and a husband and all those things that actually I, I'm just I've learned I learned I think I learned at a very young age to sort of box things off which I think is quite a good way of looking after yourself in terms of me time well I kind of see the kids as me time to be honest and I'm, I'm not sure I do make enough couple time but we work at that yeah. <laughs> I suppose, well, I've got three children, so I know that kids are uh, exercising themselves, but um, do you have any time for uh, any exercise or yoga or whatever? No, and I feel, I kind of, I used to go to the gym quite a lot, and then as the kids got older, they got more demanding sports schedules, so I often joke about how, if, if only the time I'd spent watching children do sport, I'd been walking or doing sport myself, I would be an Olympian um, and that is kind of something that I think I probably should do more of we kind of go through should we go for a walk in an evening but actually the amount of evenings where you come back and it's already tea and bed and then life just runs away so uh, I'm not sure I'd be very good at yoga I have had various times where I thought maybe I should try sort of meditation and those kinds of things but um I never actually have <laughs> okay I saw you on uh, BBC breakfast earlier in the month and one of the subjects raised with some of the comments John Humphreys has made since his retirement. Do you have any things you want to say, but you feel you can't say right now? I don't think I do, to be honest, because I think I am in such a privileged position of editing the newspaper in the city where I was born. And I am really honest to a fault. So if there's things that I feel my bosses should know then I say it. And I work really hard to protect the Sheffield team, but I feel I've got quite a lot of respect from those above me that they kind of let me do that. So I don't actually feel at this point that I need to protect them. There's mm. obviously different ways we need to go, but I kind of feel you just need to sort of make a balanced argument and, and that wins out. So I think at, various, at plenty of points where I was exploding to say things, but I've kind of learned to, to get my message across and it has always been well reacted to, so I don't feel there are now. Maybe in a year's time or maybe a year <laughs> ago I would have done, but right now I think we're in quite a good place with that. Yeah. It was interesting though, sorry, because the presenter I was on with said, well, I'm sure, because my point was, well, why has he said it the day after he's retired? When he had all that power in there, why did he not say it? And the editor, the um, other presenter very quickly went, oh, no, well, I'm sure he did in meetings. But kind of the whole point of what he was saying mm. was that he'd felt frustrated. So, I mean, that must be... Well, I, I mean, working at the BBC must be amazing and he had a brilliant position, but you kind of wish that 
he'd been able to do more to shake it up. But so perhaps mm. it was he felt he'd had less impact than he wanted to. But it came across as he felt he hadn't been able to say anything or yeah. certainly hadn't been heard. Seems to have felt a lot of psychological pressure to go along with the culture in some way, or yeah. it, didn't he? Yeah, and it isn't it, it's well. I was going to say notorious, but I'm not quite sure that's quite the right word. But the BBC is very famous, and there's incidents going on now about impartiality and things. So it does look from the outside like you say what you're told to say, which is not the same in local newspapers, fortunately. So um, you have your finger on the South Yorkshire Pulse, perhaps uh, more so than anyone, even our politicians. What single change do you believe would achieve the greatest improvement in the lives of your readers? So I think the single change is easy. We need to stop the big divides. But how you do that is a really, really tough question. So I think there's so many things in Sheffield and South Yorkshire where there are pockets of brilliance. But the people, but it's difficult to sort of pull them together. So you'll you get all sorts of like little manufacturing pockets of brilliance. But actually, where's the oomph to say this is what we do with South Yorkshire and in education you get amazing pockets of brilliance but then you've got some schools that are really suffering you've got some schools Mm. that just fly through if you look at I always think the response the day after Brexit was quite interesting actually it's still the same half of Sheffield woke up and couldn't believe it but if they'd spent 10 minutes in Parson Cross or Firth Park or Page Hall and just spoke to Sheffielders then then it wasn't quite such a shock and that's what makes me really sad that um it's so divided and then we talk a lot about promoting the city centre more there's a lot of kids who never even come into town and if the schools we've sort of done events where we said well we can do this and they're like well we literally can't afford the bus fare to get the kids into town i can't think that that divide is enormous and i think the whole of south yorkshire could develop better if things were more equal how we tackle that or how we even open people's eyes because we talk about it a lot but i'm not sure we actually know what it means how we open people's eyes to that and tackle it I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah. I had a friend from Upperthorpe, and uh, he was in his late 30s, and he'd never been to the Peak District. Yeah. Well, a lot of people haven't, and yet there's people who go every weekend or after work, pop on the bike. Um, And it's funny because my favourite park um, is Norfolk Park, and actually I quite like Firth Park as parks, but people never go. They're they're quite empty. Yet you go to Millhouse's Park, you can't get anywhere near. And actually, it, it, do you know what I mean? I kind of think there is yeah. that people just don't explore beyond their immediate neighbourhood. I think one of my greatest blessings was the school that I went to, um, King Edwards, has a really random catchment area, almost no catchment area. Um, and so here I had two best friends. There was a group of us, two in Fullwood, one in Page Hall, one in Pittsmore. And actually, so we travelled. It was a nightmare for our parents because they were <laughs> dropping us off or trying to track down which part of the city we in. But we kind of travelled and it really gave us a gift of knowing that it didn't really matter which area of Sheffield you lived in. And actually, it's quite interesting because if you look at how they went on to achieve, it probably was reflective more of their neighbourhood than the school because we were in the same school. But so many schools they just don't step outside their neighbourhood. And I think that's actually really sad because... You grow up and you've got a very blinkered opinion. You go into a job and if, if it's a middle-class university, a middle-class job, you never really need to break outside that. And I find that's very sad in a city. that is a big city, but it, it's, it's not so big that you can't visit different parks or go to different cafes or meet different people. Yeah, that's a great reflection. So, Nancy, you do quite a lot of work, I understand, around women and mentorship. Would you like to tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, Absolutely. 
So I'm the first woman to have ever edited a newspaper in Sheffield, which is a an amazing thing, but also quite a sad reflection, I think. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of places where they've never had a female editor. And so I really kind of feel it's a privileged position. I try and use that to reach out to younger women and kind of do the, well, if I've done it, what's stopping you doing mm. it? Or do you want to do it? Um, and I've done an awful lot of work around that um, we've looked at various mentorship schemes because um, I think there's some very senior women in the city who would who I know would love to get involved with that kind of thing and in some ways you can use it to address some of the imbalances that we we're talking about earlier in terms of across the city because you um, mm. you don't necessarily get leaders that come from every area of the city um, and obviously if you're a girl in certain areas of the city it's even harder to break through so I've done quite a lot around that we did a women in Sheffield um, awards for the first time last year on in- this year on International Women's Day and it was very much not a women in business celebration it was just about celebrating women so we had all sorts of different categories and actually people loved it we only did it quite small low-key um, because I just really wanted to do it and do it well but I think we could do a much bigger one because there were so many amazing stories to celebrate. And what came out of that was a thing that often comes up with women in the workplace or women in life is a lack of confidence. And I, it, it still surprises me the amount of amazing women I know who've done amazing thing and have this very sort of confident, outgoing public face but actually when a job comes up they're still oh, I'm not sure I'm ready I'm not sure I'm ready for that I'm not sure I can apply mm. for that and mm. I see that in my own workplace um, and so I re- work really hard to tell women just go for it there is a sort of male attitude that just goes for it and there's all the classic cliches about women apply two years after the wedding men apply two years before and I think that it's really important that sort of women in roles like mine do what they can to encourage but also we do a lot of sort of discussion around this and also I think it's really important that you don't have to be a chief executive or you don't have to be an editor you know what if you want to stay home and look after your children well that's probably the most important job so I actually don't feel pressured by people or women who've achieved let's really support each other because there is also quite a you can get into a really difficult place with thinking that every child wants to grow up and and get to the top of a tree maybe she doesn't and actually I think we need to accept that that's fine and I don't think we need to have the arguments about should your child be in childcare so much or should you be at stay-at-home mom we just need to support women in their decisions so I think there's loads and loads of work that still needs to be done around that but there are some really good groups in Sheffield that are sort of looking at it and supporting it and as usual they're kind of just grassroots people who kind of get on and do an amazing job of supporting people but I think one of the things I'm most proud of is um, seeing some young women who I'd like to think that along the way I've kind of been the one who's kind of gone go on you could do that or or why don't you just give it a try because I think it doesn't take much from somebody else to make you sort of question your lack of confidence and sort of force it through and then it just follows doesn't it It grows as you grow yeah that's terrific and and you do quite a bit of work in diversity as well where does that come from so I try really hard to work around diversity so diversity in journalism is a problem as as I've already said Mm. but there is a particular problem so I've worked um, in newspapers in the Midlands um, sort of looking towards Birmingham and in 20 almost 20 years I only ever worked with three non-white journalists and considering the areas and the patches that I've worked in it is quite ludicrous Um, so I do work hard to sort of try and 
challenge that. And if you're writing about knife crime, you kind of want somebody who, who reflects the people that you're speaking to or can understand that you're talking often talking about young black or mixed race men. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of need somebody to go out and, and understand. It's not about sort of feeling sympathetic or looking at the issues from top down. It's about trying to really understand communities. And my husband is Jamaican. My children are mixed race. Um, I always try to, I always think, because I often talk about race and I kind of think it, it should be, there should be more white people. It, it shouldn't really matter the colour of my husband or the colour of my children because actually we should just want the same for everybody. But I don't think we do talk about it enough. And actually there's some brilliant um, groups, individuals in Sheffield that are really sort of tackling racism in kind of a way that even makes me stop and go, oh, yeah, actually, we, there's a lot that we just go along mm-hmm. with. And the whole thing about, oh, no, I'm not racist because I've got a black friend or I can't possibly be racist because of X, Y, or Z. And I think that really it really does need challenging and it's got to be challenged by the people who are suffering the racism but actually we've all got to back that up because because they can't change it on their own um but it's also it's the response of the people in it's got to be the responsibility of the people in the most senior roles because often those people don't look like the people who you would hope would be doing that job in five ten years and that's what we've really got to change so i think there's some really serious conversations i think we all like to think that we tick the equality boxes and we just don't. Maybe we do at surface level, but I think we've just got to look much deeper at that um, for the sake of everybody, really, because if, if we've got all Sheffield achieving, well, the whole city does better, doesn't it? And it's the same countrywide, it's the same internationally. So I think it's not um, it's not positive discrimination. It's actually just understanding and, again, listening and trying to sort of make a difference on a one-by-one and day-by-day basis, challenging what we normally accept. Are there any initiatives uh, on anti-racism that you'd particularly highlight? There are, in terms of journalism, um, there's a new initiative started a few months ago, um, which isn't about racism, but it's kind of managed to play into it for me, which is Facebook have funded community news reporters. So effectively their salaries are paid by Facebook and their job is to give voices to people whose voices aren't heard and now for me in Sheffield that is ethnic minorities all of them and so we've recently appointed we've got um, a Chinese reporter and a Roma Slovak reporter who are sort of looking at those issues not specifically for their own communities but sort of everybody um, all non-whites basically and trying to sort of get their opinions across look at things from a different angle so I actually think that's a really really positive thing and it doesn't have to be a race thing but I kind of think in Sheffield it should be because we should have a newsroom that is much more diverse um, and we haven't and it's a problem of actually how you are we in an industry that looks attractive to the people that I would want in the newsroom and I'm not sure we are and again you can only change that by trying really hard and by always thinking about it and always sort of challenging your own own decisions. And it's hard work and it's not going to change, but it's just not enough to throw your hands up and go, oh, yeah, I've ticked a box or or we look all right on the forms. Mm. So I'm really pleased that we've managed to get these reporters in. And actually, in terms of, I think, the Roma Slovak community is the most vilified in Sheffield, without a doubt. Um, And it's really interesting um, that we're having this sort of process of self-discovery and of sort of trust and actually why would we want to talk to a journalist even if you look like us and you sound like us we're not quite sure what's the purpose behind it Mm -hmm. so those are quite interesting 
self-discovery moments um, for her as well as um, as well as for us as a newspaper. And that there were really tough calls as to what the star readers think. And actually, you have to be really careful not to sort of tell them what they should be thinking. I'm not a I'm a really big believer. Never tell them how to vote. Just tell them they should vote and inform them as best you can. Um, I know national papers are always mm. one side or the other, but I can't think we just stick up for Sheffield and give them the facts, and then they decide who can do that best for them. But when it comes to f- following specific communities, and actually your traditional star readers are not from the Roman Slovak community, that is an interesting debate as to sort of where the balance lies. But I'm quite glad that it's quite fun that we're on that journey, and I'm really pleased um, that we are. But it brings up challenges all the time but that's what we're there for if we're not challenged we're not doing our job properly brilliant do you have a book podcast or video that you'd recommend to aspiring leaders i'm afraid i'm not very good (laughs) looking at leadership in such a in such a direct way in a way and i think because of that my advice will be just to read and listen as widely as you possibly can, which really I realise isn't very great advice because people are so busy. But I think pick up things that you wouldn't normally want to try and give them a go. Um, And... And I think kind of, you you know, when you turn the radio off because something comes on that you're not quite interested in, I think kind of leave it on, it would be my advice. And just try and be as open-minded to as many different ideas as you can. That's what I... It sounds sounds very easy to sit here and say that, and I realise how busy everybody is. Uh, it's funny, we get quite a lot of books that get delivered into the office because um, they hope we're, we're going to review them. And I try really hard just to pick up random ones. We go, oh, that one's been there for months, nobody wants to read that. <laughs> but actually, sometimes they're really good, but you don't get past the cover or you don't get past the back. Yeah. So I think... Um, take, and, and there's so many different views on leadership. And I often think that sort of the less read books and the less rehearsed ones because sometimes you can sit in management meetings and you can kind of tell the leadership books that they've read or that they're <laughs> quoting and then people go out and go oh he's always picked up that new bestseller yeah. um, but I think kind of so I think it's really important to keep it wide you don't you don't want one book and then you've got the answer you need to get a few yeah no I, th- I think that's that sounds pretty sound advice to me the whole idea of appreciating a of, of that enabling you to appreciate a, a greater diversity of people as well because you're going to encounter them in a leadership role aren't you absolutely if you've got a good team you you get people from all walks of life don't you so and they're, they're the ones who you get different challenges over the same subject so yeah you need lots of different input to keep you sane really so uh, what attracted you to journalism in the first place I'm not 100% sure about that. My grandma always used to say that even from when I was a really small child, it's what I wanted to do. And I don't remember ever wanting to do anything else. Going right through school, I loved writing. I'm quite naturally nosy. And I always say journalists are just trained, professional nosy people. And, and I just don't remember ever wanting to do anything else. So I, um, when I applied to university, I applied to... I think you could apply to six, I'm not sure if six or eight. So I did half journalism applications, which was really hard to get into, and half linguistics, because um, I love I love sort of the scientific side of language as well. And I got offers, um, and at that point, the best places to do journalism were Sheffield and um, Preston for the University of Central Lancashire. And I didn't really want to stay in Sheffield because I'd grown up here. And, and I got a really good offer to do English linguistics um, at Edinburgh. And it did take my mum a very long time to forgive me <laughs> turning down... <laughs> Edinburgh to go to Preston Poly <laughs> well, it wasn't a poly at that stage but it was sort of the form of Preston Poly but actually 
I love doing that and I really enjoyed it and I made some great friends and it's obviously stood me in good stead. Interestingly now, because, well, I got a grant, only a small grant, but I was one of the last few to get a grant and now my advice is completely different. I'm not sure, journalists, journalism suffers because we all look the same and because we've all got very similar backgrounds. We've been to university, we're all, it's still very male-dominated and there's hardly any diversity in terms of race, in terms of age and things. Women drop out quite quickly after having children because it's quite a difficult industry to stay in. There's not many who stay full-time and not many who stay actually part-time after they've had children. So I kind of think it, I don't advise that everybody goes to university. And actually, in terms of debt, I definitely wouldn't advise it because you get three years' worth of debt, whereas actually you can go to Sheffield College, you get the same professional qualifications and come out in nine months with less debt. So it, it's all to do with the professional accreditation so it's a national council for training for journalists which accredit courses and there are so many this is the same for so many professions but there's so many courses out there that kind of say they train you in journalism and media and you come out and you haven't actually got anything you've just got a degree and a lot of debt and you haven't yeah. got any of the things that we look for on your cv so you wouldn't even get a chance of an interview which i find is really sad but yeah back to the question it, I, I love it and i i i'm really, I, I sort of struggle it's funny because i'm 43 and sometimes i think well what is my next job because i just love this job and i know I can't be doing this for the next 30 years, but I've done it for three years. But I kind of think I'm just so happy and I feel I can make a difference. And I feel, I've, I, I feel I'm quite good at leading my team and they're all successful. And you can kind of use it as a position to encourage people to go on and to stretch themselves. But also I feel I can do good for my city. Um, and we try and do sort of a lot about pride in Sheffield and about a lot of positivity. And I get access to amazing places and people and things that you wouldn't really dream of right in my hometown so it I, I kind of feel like I'm very very settled in my job you don't get many people who are as happy in their job I, as I, I think am. you're doing a great job I think the star you know is a is a very celebratory newspaper I, you know in stark contrast to some of the kind of uh, national newspapers even you know okay you, you're inevitably going to get bad news stories but but actually I think you do a great job at also celebrating the city Thank you. We do, we do work really hard at that. I'm a big believer you don't want to pick up the paper for the place you've chosen to live and feel rubbish about it. So, And there's a lot to celebrate, let's be honest. There is. It's a great place to live. It is. If you could go back 20 years in your career, what advice would you give yourself? I'm, I've been very driven to achieve as a journalist. And part of me wonders if I should have been less driven and less focused. So I've made some really... So I've always worked full time. And so I think sometimes you look back and think, should I have had more time at home with the children? I started work back full time when I had a very small baby. With the second two, I took the full year's maternity leave but because I wasn't working before my first job. And I was very determined to get in a role. I was very determined to get in a role um, within a local newspaper. So I went back, back very early. So I kind of think that some of my advice might have been sort of take more time and take things a bit more slowly but then I'm not sure I would have got where I am now if I had have done so I try and sort of appreciate time more and kind of just let go which probably comes back to the thing about de-stressing let's just let go and make an apple crumble or spend ages doing nothing really and I'm quite and I think I've learned to be quite good at doing nothing which is a really not a structured do nothing but just just doing things with children or, yeah. or seeing friends and I think I probably I think that would probably be my advice, but I hesitate because then I wonder if I would have managed to do as well in my career as I have. So 
it's a difficult balance. It's a very difficult balance when you talk to young mums as well. Um, I think that is the eternal balance, isn't it? The working mum guilt complex, how you deal with that. I try to tell everybody else not to worry about it, but you can't, can you? Everybody does. <laughs> it's just a thing that you have to learn to deal with. And uh, is this something you'd still like to achieve in your work or leisure time? So it's quite a strange one, but I quite like making things. So I keep, um, I said to my mum just at the weekend, I really want to go to one of those craft events where you can kind of make a Christmas wreath and there's some really nice ones where you can go and make jewellery. And I always say, actually, if I left journalism, I'd quite like to set up like a, a cake shop or a cafe or flower arranging. But I kind of think that's probably because it sounds really nice. And actually the reality of the economics and the stress, it's probably much more stressful because it's your own small business. But I love the creative side and I find I don't really, well, I do a lot of that in terms of writing. But in terms of sort of making things, I think if I, if I, that, that, when the children are a bit older, I think I might go back into, I used to love painting and art and all those kind of things, but I haven't touched them for a long time. And I used to love music growing up. So my kids, all three of them, their thing is sport, but my thing was music and I played the saxophone and um, the music service in Sheffield were amazing. I played for various bands, which everyone always goes, oh, you played in a band? I was like, yeah, it's not that kind of band. It was kind of like we did sort of Glenn Miller and sort of your big band dance orchestras. And that was that was really, really good, but my saxophone went in the loft. I did a gap year. It went in the loft when I went on my gap year at 18. It's never come out again. So I kind of think, in a way, I think I'd quite like to pick that up, but not as mu- not so much that I've actually done it. So I wonder <laughs> how much I actually <laughs> would like to. But yeah, doing something that's completely different with that side of the brain, I'll, I think I'll eventually get back to. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this edition of the Compassionate Leadership Interview. You can order Compassionate Leadership, the book, at www.compassionate-leadership.co.uk or on Amazon. If you'd like to support the show financially, you can find me, Chris Whitehead, on patreon.com. This show was recorded at Rebel Base Media in Sheffield and the music was brought to you by 96 Mac on CPU Records.